I am really excited at today's guest. Um, the legendary, the iconic, the one and only Eugene Robinson, Pulitzer Prize winner for his Washington Post column, uh, MSNBC stalwart, author of best-selling books, Cold to Cream, Last Dance in Havana, Disintegration, um, one of the smartest guys around, one of the nicest guys around. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you. Thanks for being here, my friend. It's great to be here, Donnie. Congratulations on the podcast, and 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 I hope you didn't have any money in Silicon Valley Bank. But. <laughs> <laughs> Did not have any. You know, it's funny. We'll just jump right into it. It is. Yeah. Ha, have you ever seen a time where every institution seems to be so fragile? Yeah, yeah. Everything is so brittle. It's like the slightest thing uh, can can throw everything off. And you know, you, I mean. I've listened to all the long explanations of why that ha this happened to that particular bank and the, the duration risk in the you know in the in the treasuries and and and, and all that. But it just seems like everything is on a knife's edge, and, and it doesn't doesn't take very much. Um, uh, and as we sort of you know, the Fed adjusts this regime from essentially you know no interest to regular levels of interest rates um uh and maybe that's why everything is is liable to crack if you just look at it wrong you know that's yeah. what it feels like hey let's go back i want to talk a little bit about your life growing up in orangeburg south carolina you said in some ways you said it was very idyllic and then obviously it formed so much of what you've written about and your comms are about about race uh one of one of your entire books about we're going to talk about the kind of the four discrete uh uh pods of, of black culture um talk to me about growing up in orangeburg because in certain ways you had it, this marvelous thing these great parents and then you know you're uh, right up front and close with the orangeburg massacre and talk about the the the, the tale of two cities so look i'll this will this will take a little while because i'm, I'm going to start way back at the beginning right i'm, I'm working on a book now that's a it's a 200-year family history um, wow. that starts with my great-great-grandfather, uh, who was um, uh, who was so, who was in Charleston, South Carolina, um, and he was uh, sold in uh, 1829 to a man named Richard Fordham, who was a plantation owner, also had a blacksmith forge inside in Charleston, um, and then he was sold again in 1848. Um, to a um, uh, to a rich guy in Charleston, a guy named Otis Mills, um, uh, for two thousand dollars, which was three times the going rate um, uh, for a an enslaved man at that time. And the reason was that in in between, um, he had become a very skilled blacksmith, and so. Um, uh, three years after that, in 1851, he purchased his freedom, and he, um, uh, he operated a blacksmith's forge in Charleston. Um, um, he was able to, you know, buy himself a house. Actually, bought some some other property around town a little bit. Not, I mean, it wasn't rich compared to the really wealthy people, um, um, uh, but was among the, the free free persons of color. That's how he was listed in the 1860 census as a free person of color. His son um, uh, was born right before the Civil War. Um, you know, with the, the, the family lived in Charleston during the Civil War. They survived the war. 
Um, and, and afterwards, um, Henry Fordham's son, my great-grandfather, um, John Hammond Fordham, uh, he was just the right age to take advantage of reconstruction, of radical reconstruction, when the Union troops were still operating, you know, occupying the South, and and um, and black people in the South had rights for the first time. So he um, went to the first secondary secondary school for black children in South Carolina. He um, uh, became a lawyer. Um, he um, Moved the family. He got married. Moved the family to to Orangeburg, which is about seventy miles inland. Uh, he um, uh, just became. He ran for elective office. Became coroner of Orangeburg County. Became a big Republican Party um, uh, uh, politico, basically, who went to all the Republican conventions for about thirty years and and all the Republican inaugurations, and he corresponded with Theodore Roosevelt and this and that. He, bought, he built a house in Orangeburg, um, which is the house that I grew up in. So wow. my grandmother, um, she was, you know, maybe 20 or so when, when he built the house. Um, uh, so she lived there, um, and, and my mother grew up there, and... My sister and I grew up there, so um, and my sister and I still own the house. But anyhow, um, um, and one thing my great grandfather um, John Hammond Fordham uh, did was uh, insist that his kids all get educated, and um, uh, there are two historically black colleges in in Orangeburg, Claflin University and South Carolina State University. Um, so they all, you know, they all studied. Um, not all got four-year degrees. Some did. Um, there, were, there were six children uh, in that generation. Um, uh, and then, um, uh, you know, my mother, um, who was born in Orangeburg, I think in 1921 or so, um, uh, she went to... Um, uh, I guess South Carolina State, and then she got a master's in Atlanta, and um, eventually another master's at, at uh, University of Michigan. Uh, so she was a librarian. Um, and my dad, meanwhile, grew up in Ann Arbor, of all places, mm -hmm. um, uh, where his family had settled after making the great migration from Alabama, Mississippi. And so, um, uh, and his mother also had stressed uh, education. So uh, he ended, he went to Michigan, he got a law degree at Wayne State um, in Detroit. My um, uncle, um, his, his, one of his brothers was, also went to Michigan with one of the early African-American graduates of um, uh, University of Michigan Law School. Um, so, uh, so I grew up in a household that um, uh, in Orangeburg that 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 revered history, um, uh, that um, was really really well educated, uh, and um, uh, and most of the kids I knew uh, were the sons and daughters of 
of professors or administrators at either Claflin University or South Carolina State, the two historically black colleges. My mother was the head librarian at Claflin University. And so I grew up in Orangeburg thinking that um, all, gee, all the black people I knew were, were um, you know, had at least one person with an advanced degree in the family and, and, and they had all been to college and they were all worldly because to get those college degrees, they couldn't get them at the University of South Carolina, right? Yeah. They couldn't get them, you know, and, and it's so, so they were traveled, they were da da da. And, um, and when I was growing up, I didn't know any white people at all. Orange was about, at the time was about 50, 50 black, white. Um, and, um, uh, so, uh, I was, um, uh, so that was the milieu in which I grew up. And then um, by the time I got to high school, the schools had finally integrated. And so I went to what had been the, the, the white high school in town. That was an experience. There were not many of us. Um, uh, so what, what does that feel? What is that? You, you walk in all of a sudden now out of you know several hundred, you're one of a few. Or I, I mean, I'm just pulling those numbers out of here. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what, is that, what does that feel like? I, I can't, I've, never, I've never been that person, obviously, as a white, as a white guy. I mean, you know. Well, so, so this is, what, 1967. I'm going right. um, uh, into, I was a, you know. I was I was young for my grade because I had been a precocious reader and they had skipped me a couple of grades and I just kind of stayed with the with that cohort. So, um, um, uh, so so I get to Orangeburg High School and um, uh, there was an intense feeling of solidarity among the black students and also not just that we were not just that we had um, something that we were something to prove, but that we were, that we were going to, you know, prove it with an exclamation point. And, and so my best friend, uh, uh, um, unfortunately passed away a few years ago, this guy named Douglas Wells, who had gone to, um, gone to grade school with him um, on the campus of South Carolina state. It was a great, school called Felton Trading School, all black, um, um, terrific school. Um, and, um, and Douglas was really smart and I was smart. And so we just decided that we were just going to tear that high school up academically. Right. I mean, we were right. just going to, you know, and I, I remember there was a, um, so, you know, with, with the white students, it was, um, it was a it was a mixed bag. It was you know there was one white student um, uh, who who became actually a friend. He um, was a guy named Michael Kane. He and I were the only two people in Orangeburg who who um, who knew <clears throat> who really knew who Bob Dylan was and right. who were who were <laughs> like really plugged in. It was a very conservative right. community and, yes, and, yes. and a small town. And we're plugged into into uh, you know, 67 and summer of love. And they were like paying attention to all this stuff. Um, um, most of the other students, uh, white students were, you know, some of them were, um, you, you, you talk about microaggressions. Now there were, there were macroaggressions, right? I mean, it yeah, was just, yeah. you know, you know, name calling and that sort of thing. And there would be occasional fights, but it, the the 
the thing that um, it was the teachers, the teachers basically went one of two ways. These were teachers who had taught in segregated schools all their careers. And there were some um, who were wonderful, one great mentors. I had a chemistry teacher, a physics teacher, they were both great mentors and really encouraged me and, 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 uh, uh, and celebrated me. And, um, and, but there were, there were some others who just couldn't get their heads around this integration thing. And so we, so there was a geometry teacher who was just a nasty piece of work. Um, and, uh, I remember, um, she would, she just seemed to really delight in, um, in, trying to humiliate the black students uh, in her classroom. And um, she did that to a friend I had gone to grade school with, um, a kid named Glenn Kane. I remember it as if, you know, and I don't remember a lot about high school, but I remember this day because that was the day that she like, you know, had him stand up and sort of um, dressed him down for not knowing some theorem and geometry. And I, I just, I resolved then and there that um, that she was going to give me an A, and I was not going to miss. I was not going to get anything wrong in her class. So I, yeah. I I'm not a natural mathematician. But you, you, went, all uh, this you, went, you went all in there, yeah. But I would. I spent hours and hours and hours studying geometry. So I would. So uh, so I'd have to. I get an A plus on every test, every quiz, every da da da. da and at the end of the year, she gave me an A plus. So you know, hey, you, you got to do it. You know, you grew up. Some of the stories just reading about you, you know, it's not even another lifetime ago with Jim Crow laws where you could sat, you go to an orthodontist and you'd have to sit in an office, you couldn't sit in the waiting room, and things like like it's just you think that that's other lifetimes ago, and yeah, it's it's not, it's not, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 old, but I'm not that old, you're not that old, because you know, if you are, I am, so we're we're not that old, right? Right, right. It happened to me, you know, so it's not that long ago. I want to talk to you about a new, really cool, super healthy, super delicious meal service called Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you get fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. You get two-minute meals, fuel up fast with factors, restaurant-quality meals that are ready to eat and heat whenever you are, pancakes, smoothies, uh, no prep, no mess meals. Factors meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. It's flexible for your schedule. Um, Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for a fast premium option with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So stop doing takeout. These are meals that are completely put together for you. All you got to do is heat them up. They'll be delivered. Head to factormeals.com slash Donnie50 and use code Donnie50 to get 50% off. That's code Donnie50 at factormeals.com slash Donnie50 to get 50% off. Mine are coming to me next week. I can't wait to try them. I hear great things about them. But Factor, this is good stuff. It tastes great. It's easy to use. It's healthy. I really, really, I really endorse it. Factor, go get them. So how do you... 
when we look, it was interesting. Bill Maher did a interesting ramble a couple of months ago about the problem with progressives is they can't in, in any way look at the progress we made without saying, okay, there's still a lot we have to do mm-hmm. that we still, we still can't. And you know, you're a, where somebody said that race relations have never been worse in this country. That's just not true. I, I mean, and, and no, you obviously, you know, so like you ha- we, we have to say we have so far to go, mm-hmm. yeah. but then you, you know, you think about your life and we have come a long way. Well, I well mean, yeah, know. I think about, think about my life and I think about my parents' lives. Which, you know, I mean, you, you, you know, it just uh, the world that they um, were born into and the world that they departed were just so radically different. I mean, I, you know, I um, and my father died in, in um, January, it was second day of January 2009. So he had lived to, to see uh, Barack Obama elected president um, uh, and not lived to see him inaugurated. But um, um, uh, he used to say, um, uh, when he heard people saying, you know, nothing has really changed, nothing has really changed, and he would just, um, uh, it, that would drive him crazy. And he would, he would say, no. You know, more needs to change, more needs to be done, but um, but it, that is not true. And uh, and you know, his life was a testament to that. I guess mine is too. Um, uh, so yeah, of course, a lot has changed, but more needs to be done. And there's a there's also kind of a you know, there's an action reaction component of this that we've seen before. I mean, you know, my great grandfather. When, you know, when back when the Union troops were occupying Charleston, you know, that was um, um, African-Americans had uh, a degree of liberty and an ability to achieve political power and economic power um, that they had never had before, never imagined before. Um, it was essentially unlimited. Uh, and then the, you know, 1877 compromise after that election, the union troops are withdrawn and Jim Crow is applied. And so, um, you know, the lesson from that is that freedoms that are won or progress that is made, um, also has to be made permanent. It, it, it's not, it, it, it's not written in stone that it has to stay the same. And so sometimes, even though overall we have definitely moved forward, um, we, we take some steps backwards sometimes. Yes, we do. Let, let's jump into some politics today. We talk a lot about this on, on Morning Joe. What astounds me about the Republicans is they are on a losing streak and they keep doubling, yeah. tripling, oh, quadrupling down. <laughs> Uh, you, you've obviously watched a lot of yeah. uh, cycles of political parties, but yeah. this this one astounds me. I, 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 me I, too. I, it's, it, me too. It's um, it's not like anything I've seen because usually, you know, if you're on this sort of losing streak, if, if you haven't, if you've lost the popular vote in seven of the last like, eight presidential elections, and da da da, you lost lost last year, lost the year before, the year before that, you know, and and. You know, you, you had what was 
frankly, a fluky election in 2016 in which, sure. you know, Donald Trump manages to, you know, you run that up, run the experiment 10 times. 10 times he loses nine, nine yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and um, uh, so a party of that situation changes. It says, you know, the, the you know, the brand of soap powder we're selling People don't like. We need to rebrand yeah. it. We need to. Yeah, we re- need new and improved. Re- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Reformulate you know, it. Exactly. Reformulate it. And um, uh, and, and then they—that's what they do. This party just keeps doubling down, doubling down, doubling down um, on uh, on a, a losing strategy, on a strategy that does not have majority support in this country, but that. It's very popular with the with with the base, the party's uh, base right now, and so um, I, you know I still think um, that you know with enough losses um, there has to be change eventually. But um, but I've given up trying to predict when that would happen. Yeah. I would have thought it would have happened by now. Yeah, speaking of change, obviously the the the. New and improved flavors. It seems to be DeSantis. I went on a little bit of a rant on Joe yesterday. Yesterday, yeah, yesterday. I find him. I find him scarier than Trump. I find DeSantis that the fascist leanings and he's yeah. packaged so much better. But if you look at his approach to things, if you look yeah. at, I mean, he literally yesterday said that the reason the bank, the re, we started out today talking about Silicon Valley Bank, that the reason the bank went under is because they were paying too much attention to diversity issues and they took their eye off the ball. This is, think about the level of right. of fright with, that goes with, think about that. This bank, uh, if we are paying too much attention to diversity and our capitalistic system is going to fall down. That, that's kind of the read between the lines there. Right, yeah. It's, I mean, it's not even reading between the lines, is it? That's, yeah. that's like written. Yeah, that's you know, written in, in neon, you know, yes. You know, yeah. that, those are the lines. Uh, it's, um, again, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, I agree with you about DeSantis. Uh, I think he's extremely dangerous. Um, if you look at, you know, what he has done in Florida in a relatively short period of time, um, and, and the way he has sort of seized um, uh, uh, levers of power yes. um, that he can then manipulate. Uh, it's, it, it's, you know, it, it looks frighteningly like a thought out and almost systematic kind of um, method that he's using. And it is very scary. It is very scary. I mean, you, you take control. I, you know, I was, I was just talking to, talking to a friend um, uh, down there, um, uh, lives in Florida, uh, and had had thought about um, uh, practically been offered a position at the at the University of Florida, and then had decided in her career to go a different way. Uh, and she was saying, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't decide to go. University of Florida, because look at what DeSantis is doing to state universities there. I mean, he's trying to sort of seize control of of the of the um, of higher education uh, in a way that 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 just that it looks too creepily systematic to me. It looks, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, it's it looks really dangerous in in a way that Trump. For all his, um, you know, obvious, you know, fascist 
leanings and tendencies and yes the insurrection and the, but he's all over the map right i mean there's nothing mm-hmm. there's nothing sort of yeah you get to you point know. at him and go look at the goofball over there and you can't yeah. do that as obviously mm-hmm. with desantis you know not as obviously no not 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 a goofball you wouldn't call him a goofball now yeah. you know you can ask and we'll we'll find out how he plays on a national stage and whether he's able to you know to tailor a message that um uh you know i mean it's kind of interesting you know i mean you know he was in iowa and he had a you know he had a decent crowd and you know selling his book but he was he was there obviously campaigning um and uh you know trump was there the other day and he had a bigger crowd and he look sort of back more in form so that this is going to be um you know a uh, this is going to be a bruising battle i think between the two of them i mean the republicans are fucked because if trump if desantis does somehow beat trump and unseat him trump's not going mm-hmm. away he'll run as a third party candidate he Absolutely. i mean they, so you know like they well, why would they, they think why would they think that he would do anything different why would they you know so they're either going to get they're either going to get Trump as the candidate, which is a losing formula. I mean, he cannot obviously anything can happen, but the, the numbers just don't end up with independents and suburbanites. We all know that. Yeah. And then you go, okay, DeSantis, who could formidably you know be a real challenge to Biden, Possibly, but, but not but, but not with Trump siphoning off fifteen or sixteen or whatever, you're doing a Ross Perot, and you know exactly uh, exactly. And then think of it in you know if you're in in Trump's yeah, first of all, Trump is so compulsive and, and you know with the the ego and the narcissism and everything he, you know i think constitutionally he couldn't just go away but also get inside his head and and you know if there's any logic in there he's going to be thinking you know i'm he, he's, at that point he's probably under indictment somewhere yeah um you know he's you know and, and he he's thinking geez you know I got to stay in this thing because I'm, I'm naked if I'm not in it. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so no, he'll never go away, but they, they, they don't seem to be able to think to that point and realize no, they can't. That, it's, it's, this is know, not, it's this is not ca- it, it very complicated calculus and yet they can't get there. How do you mention him being indicted? You know, there's a school of third on the, I was watching yesterday and somebody on, on MS on morning show had a, great line it was like a power rankings of trump's indictments or potential right, indictments, right you know right, and right. and it, the, the, there's the yeah, big four I, there's fulton county right, there's right. and there's uh there's the documents and then there's uh the insurrection and the least nefarious offensive uh right. is the one with stormy Daniels, which seems like it's happening i mean it happening yeah. imminently seems like do, it, yeah. do you do you subscribe to the school of thought that yes he broke the law but yet that you're allowing by bringing forward something that some people can think is ticky tack, it's not. He broke the law. It's felon. It's it's felonious. Exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. But but yet it's you go. Okay, is this what we're going to go after president for? Do you think that there is a? I, I've been rooting that let's bring. I wanted the one of the other indictments to come first because the gravitas and the the the, the seriousness of it is, as far as going after a president is is has brings a much much broader uh set of uh onerous you know things to put on him yeah i mean you know um i i, I tend to agree with you i i mean, i, I want to see trump charged with you know for january 6th i want to see him charged for um the um 
trying to overthrow the election and, 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 you know, in, in Georgia, um, where that investigation is going on. Um, uh, you know, so my ranking would be, you know, January 6th, Georgia, um, documents and then Stormy yes. Daniels, uh, in, in fourth place. Now, um, my only caveat here is, and it, first of all, our, my colleague at the Washington Post, Ruth Marcus, who's a Harvard Law graduate uh, uh, and columnist, wrote, um, you know, with, with sort of queasiness about the Stormy Daniels case and, mm-hmm. and the sort of two-step process the prosecutor has to has to do, falsifying business records of a misdemeanor, but in service of a felony, and uh, the yes, felony, yes, I yes, guess, yes, is an yeah. election campaign yeah. violation or whatever. Um, and she's very queasy about um about whether you know i mean it's, it's it's not a given that you can make that stick um uh but i do think um let's wait and see what alvin bragg has and what yeah. he, and when he does that grand jury's been there for a while um so we know about it what we know about it um it's it's not inconceivable that um that he has been able to put this case on more solid ground uh, than it appears, so so we'll see. But but that, it is fourth in my in my ranking. Yeah, of, yeah, of the, clearly of the potential clearly. prosecutions. Hey, I want to switch to the blue team. One thing that I keep wondering about, you know, even the way Biden handled the Silicon Valley Bank, just with a quiet competence, did what needed to be done. There was a lot of mm-hmm. this guy keeps putting up legislative victory after legislative victory. Yeah. His hand has done a masterful job of galvanizing the world, you know, mm-hmm. behind Ukraine has not made many missteps yet somehow can't it doesn't stick with him is it purely an age thing is it purely that he doesn't come across as you know in command because where i sit i give him a strong a minus at this point yeah i do too i do too i do too i mean um and i would tell you the truth i mean i would i would give him just a, a flat out a um uh it, from any perspective, if it were not for the Afghanistan withdrawal, which was a mess, right? And some, but some let me ask you a question, though. Was mm-hmm. it at the end of the day, we're at out of there? At the end of the day, right. We're, exactly. we're, okay, we're, and by the no. way, is there ever going to be a situation where after being in a place for 30 years, whatever the number is, where we pull out, where it's like everybody's waving goodbye and it's nice and, right. and, and the boat of pulls out? And, so, yeah, we're out of there. So I, I still, the, the East German judges still give him a big score on that one also, you know? Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I mean, I guess I'm looking, I, I guess I'm looking through um, a political lens. And, and, it, I, it, it, and so, look, I, I don't think there's a whole lot that he's done wrong. And I think there's, a, there's many, many, so many things that he's done um, demonstrably right. With and, a very little margin of error. Very with, well, with, with no margin. With nothing. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. With yeah. nothing. You know, and an evenly divided Senate. He's gotten, you know, all his judges through. He's gotten, um, you know, in addition to the big legislation that he's done. And, and um, uh, so why doesn't it stick? Well, um, I, you know, you could argue that, that maybe we're in, a, in an era where nothing is really going to stick with anybody. Um, mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. certainly argue, you know, because we are just in, you know, we're disputatious these days and polarized, whatever. Um, I, I do think age has something to do with it. 
Um, but the other thing is that it's Joe Biden, and Joe Biden is always underestimated. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I and I think people are underestimating him again. Um, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people write when I do my live online chat, and they're just they're very con- you know wringing their hands. Um, you know, what was it? Was it was it Ron Clay who, who um, tweeted the other day that, that you know the reason God gave Democrats hands was to wring them? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, uh, of course, Ron Clay can now tweet jokes since he doesn't have to be chief of staff anymore. Right? Yeah, yeah, and, yes, you know, yes, yes. He's yeah. much easier job. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but um, but that, you know. That's that's true. So I get you know a lot of people um, write in and and they're, they're worried about you know, Biden running again. And you know, first of all, he he has not said definitively that he's going to run again. But if it I looks like if it but yeah if it look, yeah. if it looks to him like Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee or there's a there's you know or is a, is the most likely Republican nominee, he's running. Because yeah. he believes, and he may be right, that you know he is he's the the, the Democrat who he's can beat Trump Donald killer. Trump. Yeah. He knows that that's the case because he's done it once, um, and um, you know I think he would certainly do it again. <laughs> the truth, I mean, I don't think those those voters in the middle, in, in you know, at the end of the day, um, are going to vote for Donald Trump. Some of them, you know, potentially maybe or maybe not would vote mm-hmm. for a DeSantis or, or, or somebody else. But but Donald Trump is a known quantity. And, and you know, who wants to go through that that again? I, go. I want to shift gears for a second. Just talk about what you do for a living. And, the, <laughs> and I mean, you, your column, obviously, your yeah. editor of the Washington Post, your column is syndicated, I think, 264 papers. Where does it? Like you walk, is it you're walking around one day, or you're sitting on the subway, and you go, "Okay, I'm going to write about this." Like you, you have to constantly regenerate and yeah. like yeah. come up and like we're like, what's the? Uh, there's no process because there's no formal way you go. Okay, today I'm going to do this, but I'm curious how the birth of a column. How does it come about? So, um, I've, I've been very, I've been very fortunate, right? Um, I, I was fortunate to do a lot of different things at the post you know foreign correspondent editor whatever my, my favorite my favorite was style editor of the style yeah, section what style what section. is that jesus christ gene oh, robinson editor of the style section great. it was great it was great and and i you know so i learned about um you know style theater and art <laughs> and this and that. yeah i mean everything it was it was it was wonderful um uh, so, so I've done a whole bunch of that. So I've got all this stuff swirling around in my head. So that's good. A lot of experiences. Um, and, you know, so when I, when I started doing my column, which was in 2005, I, I remember this distinctly. The first um, uh, column uh, I wrote, I wrote a couple of practice columns. And then the first one that was going to go in the paper. And I had in my head that I wanted to write about something that was going on on the Hill or at the White House. And, it was like the, the, you know, the thing to write about, you know, the, you know, the important thing. The, and I had a television in my office and it was, I think it was like the, the Michael Jackson trial was going mm-hmm. on um, um, uh, and or about to start or something. And and that's what I was thinking about. It was how sad 
and you know what a sad sort of turn this was in the life of this performer that I I had um, um, grown up with and and uh, whose music I had loved and this and that and, and finally after struggling with this this very turgid thing I was trying to write as my debut column I just I you know I just ditched that file and I just wrote a column about Michael Jackson. And, mm-hmm. and which was like a weird thing to have on the on the op-ed page of the Washington Post back then. Not at all weird now, but um, but um, it worked, you know. And so you have to listen to that voice that tells you that what you're what you're obsessing about, what you're thinking about. That's probably what you ought to be writing about. Yeah. Um, and you know, some days it's obvious because there's the State of the Union, you know, or mm-hmm. you know, it's before an election or whatever. But um, um, uh, you know, w- one thing that has evolved over time is it used to be the day before a writing day. So I usually write on, on Thursdays and on, on on Mondays and on Thursdays, right? And my days when I actually sit down to write. And so it used to be like on a Sunday, um, uh, you know, at, at like six. PM or you know, I'd start vibrating and I'd be, yeah. <laughs> you know, figuring out like what it what it is I'm gonna sit down and write the next day. Um, well, starting around, you know, uh, uh, twenty sixteen, uh, uh, or certainly throughout the Trump years, that was a waste of time, right? Because um, yeah. because between Sunday and and Monday when I sat Monday morning when I sat down to write ten World crazy thing, impossible things, yeah. things would have happened um, and whatever I was thinking about the day before was just you know three four news cycles ago so um, so um, uh, but you know you still think that there's some things that like that like work on you um, and 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 you write it when you figure out how to you know what you think about it and so this whole artificial intelligence thing i've been thinking a lot about that you know and like where does it like and so but what does that what do i have to say about that so at some point you know in the next two or three columns i think it'll click if it hadn't clicked yet you know i haven't i haven't so right now right now in a part of your brain there's artificial intelligence there's chat gbt you don't know what you want to do with it but it's 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 it's, there it's 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 there it's hovering it's it's working around and then something will some little piece of information something i hear something i read will you know will kind of click and i say oh that's it that's the end that's my way of looking at looking at this um um sometimes you tackle something and and you're not quite sure what you think about it, you know, and and um, and it's only as I as I sit down and I try to write it that I have to, then I have to figure out okay what do I think about this? Is this, is this is this is this good or bad or which way should this you know should should this have been handled or or whatever? Um, uh, but you know you want to you want to give people. You want to help people think about um, uh, what the way I think about what I do. Um, you, you want to you want to help give people a way to 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 think about this insanity that they're seeing. Um, and because if you can sort of get your mind around it, it seems maybe less scary or crazy. Um, and and if possible, you want to sort of give them 
um, uh, a way to act, um, a way to do something, you know, um, uh, you know, so, I mean, I do that a lot, obviously around election times, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah, of course this is crazy. Of course it's awful. It's terrible. And so, you know, go do something about it. Like, like, you know, like, are you registered to vote, you know, or are you going to, mm-hmm. you know, this is how we can affect this sort of change. So from the time something, from the time something tick clicks, how long does it take you to write a column? Like one, let's say that the, the, the AI, you, you find your hook, you find your the, yeah. the, that note, so, that note that you want to hit. So, um, so I, I I write I start writing in the mornings because for syndication, you know, everything's different now with the web. But um, but I but, but I, I write in the mornings and I, I try to finish. Um, so I start about ten. I try to finish by one thirty, you mm-hmm. know, and um, and when I say to start around ten, maybe I I actually start around ten thirty. So I'd say. Three, you know, the three-hour stretch. Um, mm-hmm. That's then yes, and and then obviously some columns I would do um, a lot quicker than that. Um, yeah, and this is where the experience, you know, writing on deadline. Um, so you know, I wrote I wrote our, um, our column on the uh, on the State of the Union. For example, and so you had, you know, you had what Biden was saying and what, what sure. and, and the heckling and this and that, um, and you had to get all, and you had to also figure out what you thought about all of that. And um, my deadline was eleven p.m. You know, <laughs> the speech starts it started at nine, finished yeah. it, you know, after ten, and um, so, you know, so I'm sort of writing yeah. as the speech is going on and having to reshape and that and then and then but i made my deadline i got it you do, I, I don't worry about you hey gene i gotta say i love when i'm on morning joe and you pop up in a box makes me happy <laughs> when i'm sitting there with you i really appreciate your time I, i'm a big fan my friend thank you mr gene eugene robertson well, thanks Danny. it's great to be here i really appreciate being invited and and uh um, and I'll, I'll be talking to you some early morning real soon. I'll, I'll see you in the box. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs>